Welcome to the More Sure Word Podcast with Pastor Matt Russell, teaching and explaining the Word of God verse by verse for your spiritual growth. Here's Pastor Matt with today's sermon. By praying together. Father, thank you for choosing to reveal yourself to us not only through your creation, which points us to your divine nature, your awesome power, but revealing yourself to us in the perfect word, not only the written word, but the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly reveals the Father to us, for he is God, a very God, and yet he took on human flesh so that he could live righteously and die for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would help us through your word tonight to grow to love you, to not only confess with our mouths that Jesus is the Christ, but to live our lives in such a way that resembles our confession. Spirit of God, help me teach your word clearly and accurately and help the students and the leaders to understand your word, for you are the ultimate teacher who lives within us. I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, if you guys don't mind opening your Bibles back to 1 John, we continue our study of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. And we begin our study tonight jumping right into a question. What does it mean when we say Jesus Christ? Christ. Specifically by that, what does Christ mean? Why do we call him Jesus Christ? Do you guys know? What does that word Christ mean? Anointed. Good. Amy, I'm glad that you didn't say it's Jesus' last name. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was our first answer, and then we looked at the <laughs> We call him Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which is just the Hebrew, the Greek way of saying the Hebrew word Messiah, Messiah, which means anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one of God, Jesus, the one, the ultimate one set apart for the work of God. But when we say that Jesus is the Christ, We have to also ask ourselves, what does the Bible mean when it says that he is the anointed one, the ultimate anointed one of God? We can do a quick survey of different passages from the Old Testament to set the stage for us, to set the scene. We see in Isaiah 7 that the anointed one was going to be born of a virgin. She was going to bear a son and that they will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Jeremiah 23, 6 says that in the days of Judah, they will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this will be his name by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. This Messiah, this anointed one will be called Yahweh. That's the name of the one true God. And he will be called Emmanuel, literally God with us. Psalm chapter 2 says that God the Father will say to him, the anointed one, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
He'll be called a son of God. He will be the son of God. So he'll be God, a very God. God, the son of God. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision of the Messiah. And he sees one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives him dominion over the earth. So this Messiah will not only be God, a very God, God, the son of God, God born of a virgin, but also the son of man, one like a son of man. He'll be fully man. He'll be human. God and man, the God man. Deuteronomy 18, Moses prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like him, but he would put God would put all his words in his mouth. So this Messiah will be a prophet, which is to say he'll reveal God to us. Hebrews chapter 4 quotes a passage from the Old Testament saying that he'll be a priest forever. The great high priest. So he'll be a priest for his people. Someone who goes between God and man. Isaiah chapter 9 says there will be no end to his government. He'll be on the throne of David forever. He'll be a king of kings. Isaiah 59.20 says he'll be a redeemer. He'll redeem us from the slave market of sin. And Savior, in, in a Savior in Isaiah 53, he will carry our sorrows. He will have our griefs upon him. He'll be stricken and smitten of God, afflicted. He'll be pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. This Messiah, this anointed one, will be God, man, Prophet, priest, king, savior, redeemer. This is what it means biblically when we say Jesus is the Christ. The whole Christ. And every person has to wrestle with the question of who Jesus is. We looked at that last week in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And at the, in that day, many people were calling him just a prophet. But Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Bible says that Jesus is the Christ. And when they say that he is the Christ, they mean he is God. He is man. He is savior. He is king. He is Lord. He is prophet, priest. He is God's anointed. What you say about Christ is everything. What you believe about Christ is everything. And how you live in light of what you say about Christ is everything. There's more ways to deny that Jesus is the Christ than just with your mouth. You can deny that he is the Christ with your heart, with your mind, with your actions. And so John continues the section that we've been studying. The question before us is, who are you? And we've been looking at distinguishing marks of Christians and antichrists, which clarify who we are, who we really are. And so we come to the next section in 1 John chapter 2. Read with me, beginning in verse 22. John says, Who is the liar? but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who conf confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. The question is, are we a Christian or are we an antichrist? Who are we? And John continues to help us see and distinguish that question, to help us know who we really are. And he makes it clear in verses 22 to 23 with the first type of person. And that is, if you are a denier of the Christ. If you are a denier of the Christ. Look again at verse 22. We see that plainly. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Look at how many times John uses the word deny. The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. It's people who deny what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. And he uses this word deny in a continuous sense. The one who goes on denying that Jesus is the Christ. It's not a one-time act. It's the pattern of their life. It's the pattern of their actions. The pattern of the confession of their mouth. It's the pattern of their heart. Jesus is not the Christ, they say. Not only with their words, but maybe with their actions or their heart. What does it mean to deny something? What does it mean to deny? What is denial? What is someone who's in denial? Right. What's happening? Something that's real, right? It's someone who refuses to admit something is true. Someone who refuses reality. So the word, person who denies that Jesus is the Christ is the person who refuses to admit, admit the truth about Christ, about Jesus. It's the person who refuses to admit, admit all that the Bible says about Jesus. That he is the Savior, the God of God, the fully man God. He is the ultimate priest and prophet. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And the reality is, is that it's not just someone who denies the whole Christ. But it's even those who deny even an aspect of the Christ. Because then you've denied the Christ. To take away one aspect of what it means for him to be the Christ is to deny the Christ. He's either all of what the Bible says or he's none of it. It can't be some of it. And the Bible says that he is all of these things to be God's anointed. So imagine that I committed a crime. Imagine that I was walking down downtown Paso and I saw Powell's to my right across the street from the movie theater and I saw the candy in there and I thought, man, that place is pretty awesome. And I ran in there and I just packed my pockets full of candy and I ran out of the place. And, of course, the police caught up with me, and they arrest me, and then I go before the judge, and he convicts me of theft and says that I'm going to serve time in, in jail. And I just say to myself, you're not real. This isn't happening. And I just think I'm going to walk out of there scot-free. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Just because I deny the truth that the judge is sitting before me and he's made a sentence against me doesn't mean that I'm going to walk away. 
To deny the truth doesn't make it any less true. And so John says, if you're a denier of the Christ, you are a liar. You are a liar. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? God is truth. And what He has said in His Word, which is truth, is reality. And what He has said about His Christ is reality. And to deny what the Bible says about Jesus is to be a liar. And is to live as a liar. To live in such a way that denies the reality that Jesus is the Christ is to live a lie. And everyone can have their opinion about who Jesus is, but that doesn't make it right just because it's their opinion. The Mormon says that Jesus is not God. He's a liar. The Muslim says that Jesus was only a prophet. He's a liar. The Catholic says that Jesus is one priest, not the high priest between God and man. He's a liar. And how about this? Even the person who may say, I am a Christian... Jesus is the Christ. But they live in such a way, in worldliness, in sin. The pattern of their life is as though Jesus is not King of kings, Lord of lords over their life. That He did not pay the penalty for their sins as the Savior. They're living a lie by the pattern of their life. Even someone who calls a Christian can reveal themselves to be a denier that Jesus is the Christ. And that's why John says that if you're a denier of the Christ, then not, you're not only a liar, but you are an antichrist. Look again at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies the Christ? This is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. An antichrist, right? Against Christ or or replacing Christ. Replacing Christ with another Christ. Maybe they believe that Jesus is the Savior. But who is the God of your life? Who is the King? Who is the Lord? Maybe they believe that Jesus was a prophet. But is He the Savior? Is He God of very God? Is He the God-man? There's many in this world who would answer no to those questions, but then say, what? What does the Muslim say? They worship God. The Mormon says, I know God. I have a relationship with God. Many people in this world say, I know God, but I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I, Jesus isn't the Christ. But John says, if you are a denier of the Christ, then you lose the Father and the Son. Look at verse 22 and 23. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Why? Why is that? Who can answer that? Joe. Yeah. He is the way to the Father. What else, though? He is fully God. He is God. God is a trinity. Three persons, one God. You can't separate the trinity. You can't say, I love God the Father, but I don't need Jesus the Christ. 
There's many ways to the Father, not just Jesus. And if you say that, then you're a bigot or, you know, you're intolerant of other people's beliefs. Jesus is God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode in him. If you want the Father, then you have to have the Son. You cannot say, I love this and this about Jesus, but I don't love this and this about the Father. What you love about Christ is true of the Father too, and what you love about the Father is true of the Christ. People like to try to divide the Bible and say, the God of the Old Testament, I don't like Him, but the God of the New Testament, I love Him, I love Jesus. He's all about love. No. They are God of very God. They are one essence. They share the same nature. One God. Three persons. If you don't have the Son... You don't have the Father. But John reveals to us the other type of person. He goes on in verse 23. He goes on about the person who is a confessor of the Christ. The other type is if you are a confessor of the Christ. Look at verse 23 again. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. What does it mean to confess? What does that word mean? We use it often. It's used often in Christian circles. But what does it mean to confess? Frank? Okay, to admit your wrongs. So, what is the standard that you're admitting to? Right. So, to to confess is to say the same thing about something that God says about it. The word confess comes from the Greek word homologos. Homo logos. The Greek word homo means the same. You're probably immediately thinking of homosexual. To be attracted to the same sex. Homo logos. The same word. It's to say the same thing that God says about something. To confess is to say what is true because God has said it is true. So when you confess that Jesus is the Christ, you're saying that all that God has said with your heart, your mind, and your words, that what God has said in the Scriptures about Christ. You're saying what the Bible says about Jesus is true. It's to believe what the Bible says about Christ. So whereas the denier of Christ is a liar, if you are a confessor of the Christ, then you are truthful. You are truthful and you live in the truth. You say the same thing that the Bible says about Christ and you believe it in your heart and in your mind and you confess it with your mouth and you live as if Jesus is who he said he is. You believe he is a king, therefore he's the king of your life. You believe that he is the savior. He's the only one who can save you from your sins. You believe that he's the Lord of lords. He has dominion over your life. You believe that he is the prophet, the only one who truly reveals God. You run to nowhere else but then to the Scriptures. You believe He is the high priest. He's the one who stands at the right hand of the Father and reconciles you to God by His spilt blood. Those who deny that Jesus is the Christ are antichrist. But if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, then you are Christian. Christian. What does that mean? 
What does the word Christian mean? Do you guys know where that comes from? Do you know the origins of Christian? Why people are called Christians? Evie? I think it means in Christ. Yeah, it means in, it, it, yeah, that's one aspect of it. it. It meant something a little different, though, when it first started. And it first started right in the first century after Jesus ascended into heaven. And it was the Romans who used that word of Jesus' followers in a derogatory way. They were trying to belittle them because literally it means little Christ. The, the followers of Jesus were so tightly knit to the Savior, they talked like him. They believed what he believed. They lived like him. They gathered together. They separated themselves from the world. That the Romans started ridiculing them, saying, what, you think you're a little Christ? You think you're like that guy who we crucified, who called himself the Christ? It was meant to be derogatory. But the Christians wore it as a badge of honor because it truly showed who they believed in, who they confessed, that their life really resembled the Christ. This is something that we all understand because it still happens in our world today. What are followers of Justin Bieber called? Believers. What are followers of Taylor Swift called? Swifties, right? What are followers of One Direction called? Directioners, right? You guys know the followers of these prominent idols of, of, of our modern age. They follow them. They love them. They go to everything that, you know, every concert. They have all their music, posters. You know what I mean? If they got a chance to even, like, see them or be next to them, they would sell their soul for that. People who follow Christ are called Christians. Not because we literally are little Christs, but because we are united to the Christ by faith. Paul said to the Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He didn't have a life anymore. He lived because Christ lived. He was united to Christ. As Ebby said, he was in Christ. To be called Christian is to confess Christ to such a degree that your life literally reflects the Christ. The only Christ. And while the deniers of Him lose the Father and the Son, if you confess Him, you gain the Father and the Son. Look at what John said in verse 23. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Our God, our great God, is a triune God. Three persons, one God. One essence, three persons of one essence. They share the same nature. It's not that Jesus is one-third of God and one-third and one-third. They all have the full 100% deity. One God, three persons. And so when you have the Son, you have the Father. When the Holy Spirit resides within you, the triune God, by His presence, resides within you. You become a temple of the God of the universe. You have intimate relationship with God of every God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. If you love me and you obey my word, then my Father loves you and we make our abode in Him. 
amazing. But it's only through the Son. It's only by faith in Christ that you can know the Father. To think that you have a relationship with God, and yet you do not have one with Christ, is lying, is antichrist, is only losing. And so John wants us to hold fast to this truth. He wants us to remain in this truth. And that's why John brings up this idea in verse 24. If you are a resident of the Christ. Look at verse 24. He turns to those now who do confess the Son. And he says, as for you. And he gives a command. Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What does that word mean? To abide? We don't use that very often. What does that word mean? To abide in something. To make something your abode. Yeah. To live, right? A residence, a dwelling would be an abode. A home. The word abide means to stay, remain, reside, dwell. It means to plant your roots, to make something your home. It's, it means to be firmly fixed in one place without moving or leaving. So it's if John is saying this, let that which you heard from the beginning, which is the truth, the truth about the Christ, the truth of God's word. For those in Asia Minor, it would have been everything that the apostles had written and said, all that Paul had said when he came on his missionary journey. John is saying this, He's saying, make the truth of God's word about Jesus Christ your home. Don't rent it out to someone else to change it. Don't sell it for some other truth. Don't destroy it. Don't even go on vacation. Be firmly planted in it. Make it your dwelling. Be fixed in it. Stay in it. Live in it. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. John's saying, be a resident of Christ. Dwell in the truth about Christ. Live there. Be fixed in it. Don't leave it. If you are a resident of Christ, you reside in the truth. It's the truth that you heard from the beginning. But then he turns from the command to give us a great reality. In verse 24, he goes on, he, he says, And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, which is to say, if you, abide, if you obey that command I just gave you, if you stay firmly fixed in the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the whole Christ, with your whole person, then, what does he say? You will reside in the Father and the Son. You will remain, you will stay, you will be fixed in relationship with the triune God, which is to say, you will not lose your eternal life. You will remain to the end. You will remain to the end. You will persevere to the end. As Jesus said, you will not be the man who built his house on the sand. 
And when the judgment came, it crashed. You were firmly planted. You built your house upon the truth that Jesus is the Christ. God, man, Savior, King, Lord. If you're a denier of the Christ, you're a liar. You're an antichrist. You lose the Father and the Son. But if you're a confessor of the Christ, you're in the truth. You're a Christian. You have the Father and the Son. And the confessor of the Christ needs to be a resident of the Christ. A resident of the Christ. But here's the... Here's the $100 question, right? We don't always feel like we are a resident of Christ. I'm not always confident of that fact. I'm not always secure in that fact. Sometimes I doubt that I am truly Christian. Do you? Do you? That's the problem. But here's the great conclusion that I want to end with. John wrote this letter, and the reason we've been studying it is because in John, 1 John chapter 5, he says he wants us to be secure in our salvation. He wants us who believe in the name of the Son of God to know that we have eternal life. But not only does he want us to know, to have security, he wants us, remember 1 John 1, 4, to be filled with all joy, to have assurance of our salvation. What's the difference, you say? Security is a fact. Security is what John told us in verse 20 last week. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. If you've repented and put your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And He keeps you to the end. That's a fact. You're secure in that. That's not going to change. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's security. It's a fact. It's unchanging. But assurance is feeling confident in that fact. Assurance is knowing in my mind that that fact is true of me. So while I may doubt that fact, it doesn't change the fact. Just because I'm not feeling like I'm a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm no longer a Christian. If I'm in Christ, I'm secure but I might feel unassured that I'm a Christian. So why is it that that happens? Why is it that we feel unassured of it? Even though we may be secure in the fact, I don't have confidence in that fact. The reason that we don't have confidence is because at times we live our lives as though Jesus were not the Christ. We live our lives as though He's not the Lord of our life. And so we lose intimacy with Him and we start to doubt, do I really know Him? We get caught up in a sin pattern. We know our own weaknesses and so we know we're not what we ought to be. We struggle because maybe we were taught error that we can lose our salvation and so we're struggling with doubts about if we're really saved and we stay saved. So the question is, on the flip side, How can we be more assured? How can we be more confident in our mind of the unchanging fact, the security of our salvation? And that's exactly what John has been trying to motivate us with all the way up to this point. The way that you feel the most assured, confident of your salvation, the way that you feel the most confident of the unchanging security that you have in Christ 
is when you are believing the truth, staying in the light, confessing your sins, hating sin, loving God, loving others, growing in the truth, clinging to the Christ. When those are being poured out in our life, that is when we are most assured of the reality that we are secure in Him. And when we're failing in those, it doesn't mean we're severed from Christ. Because the Bible says we're secure. But that's when we doubt. We doubt that that fact is true of us. John wants us to see this reality and to grow in our assurance that not only is Jesus is, is the Christ, but that we are Christian. We are united to Him by faith. Let's ask for that assurance before Him. Father, thank You for this truth. Help us all to be confessors that Jesus is the Christ. And Lord, in the ways in our life that we may be practically living as though You weren't the Christ, even though we confess, and even though we may believe with our hearts, that you are the Christ. There are times in our life where we fail to live like that. We fall into sin as though you are not Lord. We rule over our life as though you weren't king. We decide what's best for us as though you were not God. Help us, O Lord, to turn to your truth, to remain and stay in the truth. Help us to love you more than sin so that we would grow in your likeness that we grow to cherish you. Help us to turn to your word that we may see the whole Christ in all your glory and that we may grow to love you more and more because of who you are until we see you face to face. Thank you for the security we have in the Holy Spirit. Help us to be confident of that fact in our minds, not to doubt, but to be confident that you are doing a work within us and you will carry it on to completion. I pray that for each one of these students, Lord. And I pray that you would make it true of their life and of their heart. And if they are not in you, if they deny that Jesus is the Christ, may your spirit come, open their eyes, give them a new heart, show them their need for salvation, show them the wickedness of their sin, and that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one can come to you but through Christ. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys. You've been listening to the More Sure Word podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt Russell. We hope you join us again next week. I'm Riley Whittington, and may God bless you in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.